Welcome back to the Short Poor Saloon Podcast. My name is Joel Penfield, joined by Philip Slavin, as always. How are you doing tonight? Steal that from my good friend Levi Stevenson from Wine Right Nighting Light. Um, I'm JP. I'm not doing nearly as well as you probably are with the Chiefs headed back to the Super Bowl for the second, uh, second straight year. You know, I, I love being a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs. I love having the best quarterback on the planet on my football team, and I cannot wait to beat that geriatric bull that plays for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in two weeks. It's going to be fantastic. If this is Somebody made this joke on Twitter, and I love it. It's a great comp. This is feeling like uh, one of those old Westerns where the young, young up-and-coming gunsman has to take down you know, this whole posse, and, and there's always the – Want to be young gun, Josh Allen. Now you got to take out the old, the old grizzled former sheriff or whatever. It, it's just so be, funny to like, me how all yeah. season people, it, the Chiefs in a very short period of time, and Patrick Mahomes in a very short period of time, reached a point of greatness where the media and sports media decided, oh yeah, we just need to add other, we need to pepper in some other people for. Uh, for discussion because we know who the best player is, but I mean, Lamar Jackson, I mean, he's, he's obviously the best quarterback in the NFL and he was awful against the chiefs and Patrick Mahomes proved his worth. Uh, Josh Allen has had six good games in his whole career. Clearly that's better than the three years of greatness. Patrick Mahomes has had, but obviously Josh Allen's better and he looked awful tonight. Uh, the best play that Josh Allen made all night was a, he was nearly on the ground and threw the ball 50 yards out of the back of the end zone when it was already a three score game, whatever. Um, like we've reached a point where people are just bored with how good the chiefs are. And honestly, I'm here for it. I love, I get to be the, I get to be a fan of the enemy for the next 15 to 20 years. I'm good with that. Yeah. Not a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. Uh, yeah. So look, congrats to chiefs fans. I will be easily rooting for chiefs. I think most people, here's the thing. People love the Chiefs until they go win like three in a row and then everyone hates dynasties, so just get ready for it. I think, people, I think, it's all, I think still, people already hate the Chiefs. I think well, we've already reached that point. This is Chiefs. Like, they're going to try and sell. All I know is this. I don't want to listen to any NFL podcast or anything for the next two weeks because I don't need to hear about Tom Brady, Tampa Bay, first team to host the first home team to host. Like I don't want to hear any of this crap. It doesn't I don't matter. To, I don't it doesn't to. matter. The Chiefs already went into Tampa Bay and boat race them until it looked close at the end. This is not an NFL podcast. Yeah, I'm just way I, uh, too excited, and I also am way too confident in my team. If this was New England with Belichick, I would be scared because Belichick knows how to scheme away the best thing, whatever it is that you do best. Um, the Bucks beat Green Bay because Green Bay's coach is bad and because their starting left tackle was out for this game. And the Bucks D-line is really, really good. And so what happened? That's what happened. Into the story, into story. Also, the refs didn't want to call any sort of defense of anything until – yeah, they, they let him be physical until it uh, until Tom Brady went. Oh right, I need my bailout call, and here we go. Yeah, yeah. It, look, it was defensive. It was pass interference. We're not arguing that it wasn't pass interference. The problem is that you ignored it up until that point. Yeah, like I won't argue the validity of the call. It absolutely was pass interference. But right. you look at about the fifteen holding calls that Sean Murphy bunting and Carlton Davis got away with for the entirety of the game. But then the minute there's a jersey tug, oh, fifteen yards. All right, cool. Helps out. Helps out, Tom. Shocker there. Yeah, it's okay. Tom Brady can enjoy being the goat for about the next fifteen years. When Patrick Mahomes retires, he, he won't. He'll be number two. Yeah, very nice. Okay, uh, should we talk some some Oklahoma State now? Yeah, I'm I'm good to do that now. I needed I needed to get my takes off at least you know yeah. just a little bit. Moving on, uh, Philip and I meant to do this on our last episode. We apologize for not recording last week. Philip and I's schedules were a little odd, and we couldn't f- quite find a time to record. Uh, but we're gonna have two episodes up this week. We'll have this one uh, that you're hearing on Monday, and then we'll have another one on Thursday. 
uh, with a couple with a guest. We have a really cool guest lined up. We're, we're excited about what that one's going to offer. Uh, so we'll have two episodes for you this week. Don't expect two episodes in the future. It's just we at least want to get something out there for you guys. On the previous episode, yeah, do not why, expect two weeks. Do not expect no, two episodes no, a week no. right now. Goodness. As we meant to have in the last episode before we got way too into the weeds talking about all the entirety of uh, about three weeks of Cowboy basketball, we wanted to put a bow on the end of Cowboy football, the 2020-2021 season. And we wanted to do our version of like the end of season awards for Cowboy football. We came up with about about six or seven categories and we're each going to give our takes. We agree on some. But we're going to uh, do this as a little segment to end the football season, and then we can just move right into 2021 here in the next couple months uh, when spring ball starts and with the schedule comes out and more stuff like that. Why? All right. Should we, so, we rock and roll? Let's rock well, and roll. Let's, let's rock and roll. So we, it's very easy to do like MVP, like most valuable player, which mm-hmm. is super subjective, you know, what your like definition of the V and like what valuable is. Yes. So instead, because it'd be very easy to just give it to Tylen Wallace and just end the discussion, but no. that's not yeah. fun radio for us. So we decided to yeah. do it as the, the offensive player with the most impact. So the offensive impact award. And I'll let you go first here. I think we agree on where we're going to go with this, but I'll let you introduce it here. Well, okay, so you're going to see something similar between my offensive player and my defensive player. So let me start with the offense. Offense, I think we agree. Like, I agreed. Tylen Wallace, we get it. As soon as he got into games, he, he took over. He would make plays that were ridiculous. Yes. But to me, impact-wise, the guy that was the, the biggest impact, whether he was on the field or specifically when he was off, was Tevin Jenkins. The offensive line – the struggles were due to a lot of things, attrition being one of them. When you think about it, you lost three guys before the season, two guys basically for the season in the first game against Tulsa. You had other guys drop uh, due to injury, guys in and out, in and out. Tevin Jenkins played hurt in games because he just he just wanted to play. Dude's about to be probably the first-round draft pick. I think most mock drafts at this point have him on the back end of the first round. He's arguably the best offensive lineman Oklahoma State's had since Russell Okung. And I think offensive line outside of quarterback is the most important position group on offense. And he was your best one. Josh Sills was great. Rye Schneider was, was good. Other guys who all stepped up and played really well. But Tevin Jenkins to me is the guy who the offense was – at its best when he was there. And when he wasn't able to be on the field, you noticed the stark difference. So uh, for me, it's Tevin Jenkins. In general, offensive line is a very thankless job. You Mm -hmm. don't notice what the offensive line does unless they make a mistake. When they let up a sack or just whiff on a block. But if you actually go through and over the course of three-plus seasons, you watch what Tevin Jenkins did on the offensive line. He mauled dudes. He took away some of the best defensive linemen in the Big 12 and like they were nothing. If you need any indication, I'll, I'll find the video and I'll retweet it when this, when this podcast goes up. But Joseph Osai, who's an edge for Texas, a defensive lineman, defensive end edge for Texas, Who's a consensus end of the you know mid to the end of the first round, kind of where Jenkins is at, first round pick. Uh, Jenkins threw him around like he was a lawn chair all game long against Texas earlier this season. And Osai is a big, strong dude, and Jenkins just took him to town all game. He was the best and most impactful offensive player for Oklahoma State this season all year long and his presence was obviously felt when he was gone because you didn't have that mauler dude. Now a ton of credit goes to the dudes that filled in because of the offensive line was still serviceable when he was out, but they were at their best mm-hmm. when you had him at left tackle for this team. And he may kick in the side of guard. And then when he goes to the NFL, he is going to make a lot of money for a very long time in the NFL. Yeah. And look, it's not just that he was so good, but he was also versatile. 
Like his versatility, being able to move around, like it's just he is he is the best offensive lineman Oklahoma State's had since Russell Okung. It's not close. I think he is a first round draft pick. If not, at worst, he's a second early second rounder. Like I, unless his his measurables at for the combine are terrible. I, like I just no, there's I enough game tape to be like you're gonna if you need it, <laughs> you, this you you draft this guy. He's he's gonna be good for you. Yeah, if he tests well the combine. He's going to be a first-round pick, even if he tests like slightly worse than people thought he would. And the combine is going to be weird this year because it's virtual, but or like held at you know wherever the guy went to school or wherever. Um, like he's going to be fine, and he's at, at the worst going to be an early day two pick in like the beginning of the second round. He won't make it past the third. I've listened to a lot of like mock drafts and podcasts and stuff talking about the NFL draft and people that follow the draft, they love him and he's going to go very mm-hmm. early in this draft and teams are going to be able to get a dude that can play outside and inside and just maul people from the very beginning. So look out for him and, very early and on. Be in the on an NFL offensive line where he doesn't have to be like the only NFL offensive lineman on there. Yeah. Doing all the I, I've heard a lot of people talk about him kicking inside to guard, which I don't think would be a bad thing, like moving mm-hmm. him to like left guard. And yeah, he'll just destroy people on run blocking. My God. To me, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's Let's move on to defense, defense here. Do you, uh, do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first on this one. So this is our defensive impact player. Again, or the most impactful player on the defense. And the guy I'm going with is Trey Sterling. He may not have had the best statistical year, quote unquote, by any Oklahoma State player. But if you look at the way that Jim Knowles used him throughout the year, he was a deep safety playing center field. He would guard guys out of the slot. They would use him at linebacker. He'd play on the line of scrimmage guarding, you know, taking running backs or tight ends out of the backfield. He'd blitz. He would do – he was – he's almost like a the way that the Chiefs use Tyron Matthew, like a honey badger style where he can just do just about anything your defense needs to do as a safety. He can play deep. He can play in man. He can play in zone. He can play a slot corner. He can rush off the edge. He can play the run. He can play the pass. And the way he plays downhill, he's going to make a lot of money in the NFL. His run fits are ridiculous as a safety. The angles he takes, the way he hits, and he's coming back for his senior year. He's going to get first or second round money, I think, uh, if he continues on the trajectory where he is at. But the versatility of Trey Sterling is why I have him for my uh, biggest impact player on defense this season. So I don't want to like tell you you're wrong, but the whole like didn't put up the stats. He was third in ta- total tackles at 74, second in solo tackles at 51. He led the team in tackles for loss at 12. I really also said tackles for loss. Shit. Okay. Yeah. He had, he led the team in tackles for loss. Okay. At 12. The next closest, I think, was Tyler Lacey had eight. Mm-hmm. No, okay. Calvin had eight and a half. <laughs> uh, two interceptions, four pass breakups, one quarterback hurry, and two fumble recoveries. So compared to you, my guy, significantly lower stats. 18 total tackles. Uh, one tackle for loss. Seven pass breakups. One force fumble. But there's a reason that his numbers were so low. Radarius Williams was one of the best corners in the Big 12 this year. He didn't get the credit he was due. Now, why do you think that would be? Why are his stats so low? Because he was so good, and this is why I don't understand it, teams would not throw his direction. Teams didn't want to throw at Darius Williams. They would throw to the other side of the field because they didn't want to deal with throwing to him because they knew it was a waste of time. That's how good he was. But Jared Bernard Converse had a really nice season. Christian Holmes was – I'm glad he's coming back. It's good depth for the team. But Rodarius Williams – was so good on this team that other opponents did not even want to throw to his direction. Similar to Tevin Jenkins in the conversation of you really saw the impact when he was out. Rodarius Williams played in nine games. He was in and out of games being beat up because he got, he got injured. And when he was out for this defense, this defense suffered. Jim Knowles' defense is predicated, his ability to bring pressure – 
and use the safeties the way he likes to, is to let the corners play on an island and not have to provide support to them. When you have a corner that teams don't want to throw to, you can have a gnarly defense that's aggressive and goes after the quarterback. It forces tackles for loss. You can have the style of defense that Jim Knowles wants to have. When you don't have a corner that people don't want to throw to and it needs more help, you can't do that as effectively as you would like. When he was out, the defense was not as good. It's not because they were less talented. They were because you never carry swings, but the scheme doesn't work as well. Where Darius Williams was the most important player on this defense, he was the, de- he was the piece that allowed the defense to be at its best because he was a stud, an underappreciated stud. I think he will get drafted. I don't think it will be in a first, second, third. I think it will be one of the later rounds, but I think Rodarius Williams is going to get drafted. I made my prediction at the beginning of the year that OSU would have the most players drafted in the modern draft era. That would have to be five or more. Most ever has been four, two times. Five would be it. I think he will be one of the five. I think he gets drafted. I think he's really stinking good. I don't understand how the all Big 12 stuff, postseason, whatever. The fact Redarius that Trey Sterling was on fourth team all Big 12 is yeah. just – that shows that it's a sham. It's a freaking joke. Oh, do we? Yeah. The, but, I mean – I do think there were a lot of really good DBs in the Big 12 this year. I will yeah. say this. There were a lot of good DBs. I think a lot of teams – I think sometimes record plays into who gets what too much. OSU's defensive players deserve more credit than they got. Rodarius Williams was was so dang good. And he didn't – you know, it's, it's one of those things like, why did he put up stats? Because literally no one was going to give him an opportunity because no one was going to throw to him. Like, that's that's what you – that's the takeaway. So that's who my guy is. That's it's I uh, He's a guy that I really like heading into the year. I'm very excited to watch what he does in the NFL. Like, he's a guy whose career I'm very closely going to be watching because he is – really underrated yeah and i i think there you could have gone so many different directions with the way the defense played pretty much all season i think you could have gone with a man on bong vomiga colby harbaugh peel had a good year malcolm rodriguez was awesome we'll see him again next year there were so many guys that we could have gone to but i think the two that we chose are probably the guys that had the biggest impact this season but that doesn't take away from any of the other guys on a really awesome oklahoma state defense Oh, that's great. Great defense this year. Great. I know that statistically, I think 2013 was still like better, but I don't care. Yeah. This was the best defense. It was the most fun defense to watch. It was the most impact. I, I need, I keep forgetting that there's a study story I want to go write and I need to go track. Like, I'm pretty sure that in turnovers, in like scoring off of turnovers that the defense outscored the offense. In fact, I'm not pretty sure. I'm, I, I don't even have to look, and I'm, I know the answer is going to be that they did. I'll just have to – I'm going to go confirm by how much, like, which will play into what we're talking about later on. But, yeah, I, this defense was so fun. And I don't think it's going to have a massive draft drop-off next year. So the concern is at corner. Christian Holmes is back. Jared Bernard Converse is solid. Um, guys like Thomas Harper got a lot of play. Got a lot of guy, the young guys coming up. That corner is going to be it. Like I said, if you want in Jim Knowles' system to be able to apply the pressure he likes to run, you need to have a Redarius Williams out there. So, Jared Bernard Converse, it's your turn, sir. It's your turn. All right, now let's go into our Coach of the Year. Talking about this is mostly this is a positional coach award here for this. And I think, and we agree on this, uh, it's Charlie Dickey. Damn straight it is. When you think about the attrition that this position went through for the entirety of the season, not even just the beginning, it was all year, and your top guy goes out in Tevin Jenkins, and you have to reshuffle the line again at the end of the season. And the way they played down the stretch without a guy like that, tells you the level of coaching that Charlie Dickey is doing for these guys. Now he got Jake Springfield back who went out early on in the season or uh, Cole Birmingham. Sorry, Cole Birmingham. Well, and Springfield, they lost Springfield. They lost Springfield for a period of time as well. I was thinking about him because I know that he filled in for Cole Birmingham at left tackle, but then in the bowl game, you got Cole Birmingham back who shifted to guard. You get Josh Sills back. This is a group that's going to be really good next year. 
guys that got thrown into the fire that probably weren't ready that by the end of the year were giving legitimately good reps in run and pass blocking. It says so much about what he's doing on from a recruiting perspective. I don't know, but I know the dudes he gets on campus by the time they're sophomores, they're going to, they are ready to go and ready to plug and play. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. And all the credit in the world to him for what he did, because if we had a lesser offensive line coach that couldn't do what he does with these guys, I mean, this team would be so much worse off. I think we're seeing some of the best offensive lines Oklahoma state has had since Joe Wickline was here. Yeah. I mean, look there. I think, I think there's nothing else I can really say. Like, like we'll true freshman Eli Russ played in seven games. Okay. Like you had to play a true freshman. That you just we we kept thinking the offensive line was a problem. By the end of the year, we realized the offensive line really wasn't a problem. They just had to deal with a lot of stuff, and Charlie Dickey handled it incredibly. I, I don't I I don't think we can give him enough credit for the job he did, like at all, for what all they dealt with, folks. You Oklahoma State's not too deep with. Or three deep with studs at every spot on the line. Like you need to have, as Alan once says, like you want to be like eight deep. You lost three guys from the start before the season even started. Like two of them were projected to be starters, and you had a solid backup. Then you lose two guys who were playing, I think, who were starters for you in the first game for the rest of the season. Before you got to game two, five guys on your offensive line roster were gone. You're too deep. It's literally like <laughs> that. That's not something you bounce back from easily. And they played well. And we can. I get it. Like we, they did. Like I don't. I, I don't know how to be like. Look, other guys did a good job, um, but no one. No one did a better. Outside of Jim Knowles is my second. Like second place is Jim Knowles. Second place oh, is, yeah, is, for is sure. Jim Knowles. The combination of A, the linebacking group was ridiculous. Now, part of that was they were all upperclassmen, but they were great. And most of the time, that's his position group. The defense was awesome. Full props to him. But I, I, I Jelly Dickey was, did, did an amazing job. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped to see what he can keep doing. I, I would like this. This is a problem for every, I get it. You have injuries on the offensive line. That's fine. Man, can can we get it? Just help. Can we just have a an offensive line for like most of the season? Not have multiple, just like a wave of injuries and problems. Can we just can we just have five guys? That would be great. It would be great. It's a young. It's a young look. Give, including that extra year of eligibility, you can't consider anyone like what they really like. Juniors are all sophomores. If you want to really manage it correctly. So if you treat it that way, you've got true classes of true freshmen. You've got five redshirt freshmen, four sophomores, and two seniors. <laughs> you got a young group. They're going to be solid because of all the things they dealt with. They're going to be solid next year. They 2022, they could all be really good. Charlie Dickey's I, I'm I don't I didn't love the recruiting class. 2021 but they could be pretty good this year so props to him man i don't if you're like nah i did a terrible job okay cool uh you should probably actually watch some football yeah let's move on here to our favorite game of the season and i'm gonna go with the iowa state game that felt like a game that was that oklahoma state probably should not have won that did it was spencer sanders first came back from injury there were a bunch of turnovers like it was kind of a brutal game to watch in a lot of ways but you made brock purdy look really uncomfortable for most of the game outside of the final drive the defense was really good the offense was really good in spurts that was i think that was the game for me that was probably my favorite of the year Mainly because we won. That was a lot of it too, obviously. Yeah. Like, here's the problem is we get a lot of ugly games like you just kind of had to deal with. But it was a good game. 
and Iowa State turned out to be really good. So that just added to that, you know, the impact of that win at that point. You're, you only, it's a good win. You're only a Big 12 team in the regular season to beat, to beat Iowa State. They had that, you and Louisiana, so they lost to, to Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game. It's a nice win. It was a nice win for Oklahoma State. I think Oklahoma State was at its, coming off that extra long idle period because of COVID stuff, uh, I, I think that was one of their better performances. It was an ugly game, but you know, you've got a 10-point lead. You like to win by that much. Wasn't that like the first of like three games in a row that I had to like deal with on, on second? I don't know. That was a solid game. It was a solid game. Um I'm going to go with one that's different. Okay. Um, so Oklahoma State, Bill Connolly tracks his, like, you know, post-game win expectancy numbers. He doesn't. Um, so he put out an article at the end of the season that had the, the 10 games with the lowest post-win, uh, post-game win expectancy in a win for the year. Okay, so basically – who was the 10 luckiest teams by winning a game they absolutely shouldn't have won? So the LSU beating Florida, they had a 0.6% chance to win that game. 0.6% chance to win that game at one point in the game and LSU won the game. Um, so here's the downside. Oklahoma State was involved in two of the top 10. Awesome. They were in the losing side of one of them. Do you know which one that one was? Is it Texas? It was Texas. TCU. Texas. Texas had a 2% chance to win at one point. Sweet. And OSU won. OSU did come out on the positive side of another game. Would you like to guess what the fourth one that was? K-State? That is my game of the year. Oklahoma State had a 7% win expectancy. <laughs> Bones game win expectancy in that game. 7% and went on to win. It was an ugly game. It was a gross first half. It was disgusting to watch. We were all angry as could be that you were trailing 12 nothing to Kansas State. Needless to remind you, no Chuba, no Tylen. Uh, Tevin Jenkins got hurt. No Colby Harvell Peel. They take that game. You get the first touchdown from Brendan Presley's career. Awesome. You, you get the comeback. I, I just – Kansas State misses the two-point conversion to tie the game. You hang on and win a game that you're down 12 nothing. You couldn't do anything offensive. Then you get the third, fourth quarter. You go from down 12 nothing to up 20 to 12. That game was disgusting. But if you look in the, the season as a whole, because we're so used to these like 44 to 40 wins that these 2018 grind-out nonsense games just feel nah, just, just gross. And they are. They're gross. They're like, this, is, this is Big 12 porn is what, or Big 10 porn is what we put on this year. But – there's something about even a, a Kansas State team with a like true freshman knockberry court. I don't care. Winning a game that at one point you have a 7% chance of winning on the road at Kansas State was just kind of fun when you look back on it. So that in the end, because that second half, when you come out and, and, and come from down 12 nothing to go up 20 to 12 is pretty nice. So I'm picking Kansas State. I forgot how disgusting that game was. That game was nasty. It was awful. It was awful. It was was a terrible game. So it was my birthday that day. And I was like, sweet, we need to go and play Kansas State. And then the minute I saw Talon Wallace's out, I was like, oh, God, this is going to be ugly and awful. And it sure was. But, man, that Jason Taylor scoop and score, look what I found. Just I still can't believe that actually happened. So you know what? Let's just – now that since you mentioned that, let's hop in our next category, which is your play of the year. Um, number one for me, the Jason Taylor 85-yard fumble return that wasn't really like a fumble. Like it got – it bounced into – it literally never touched the ground, popped out, lands in his arms, and he runs it back 85 yards to put Oklahoma State up 20-12, which was the game-winning – which was the deciding score – I remember that play happening and just going, what the football gods are on our side right now? Because that does not, that does not happen. And as I recall correctly, Kansas State, like you, we were, this, at this point in the game, we're like, oh, she's offense is stalled again. Because you, you kicked the field goal or you got the, the yeah, you got the field goal up 13 to 12. A lot of time left in this game. 
Kansas, he had to punt. Kansas State, it's first and 10 at their own 15. They get a 58-yard pass, couple of runs. They're at the OSU 28. You're just like, this is – they're going to score, and, and we're they're going to – we're nope. Will Howard tries to run it. Fumbles. Israel Entwine pops it out. Taylor lands in Taylor's arms, runs it back 85 yards, and they win from that. The, every top play for me this year pretty much would have been like it would probably be like a defensive score because they were all amazing. But that one, that one, that was and the one for me. That the thing is that, stuck out more than anything else. That one felt so poetic too because oh, it was yeah. on one of those stupid, like unathletic, straight upright white quarterback delayed runs that K State has beat people with for years. Mm-hmm. And the ball got popped out for a touchdown. It just felt so good that that play didn't work for the first time in 20 years. Oh, it was so good. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a beautiful thing. Okay, so my play, it also involves Jason Taylor the second, And it was Ooh. his kickoff return for a touchdown on the surprise onside kick by Texas Tech. And... It was also a lot of it was it was one of those like how the heck did this happen? This the what did what did this dude do? Like what did this dude do right with the football gods to just have the ball magically land in his hands in these opportune times? But also it completely turned the tide of that game. Why Texas Tech went for the surprise onside kick when they did made absolutely no sense. Oh, that's right. Yes, it, it was. It was. They when, had all the momentum. They had all the momentum in the world, all and they tried to get more. They got greedy. Tried to get more. And the ball just ends up in Jason Taylor's hands with no one in front of him. And we get the touchdown, which was awesome. And then I believe the next drive was the Trey Sterling pick six, which is two for me. But I think the Jason Taylor kickoff return was just more odd and weird, but it completely took the shape through the momentum right to Oklahoma state and completely turned the tide of that game. And that's why it's a huge reason why Oklahoma state won the way they did. Yeah, Texas, I can just re- take, take the lead. They're up 24 to 21. It was their, like, the first lead since they, they scored first. They, it's 20, OSU been up 21-17. They get 24-21. They're feeling real good. Go for the onside kick. Oh, yes. Then you get the pick six by Trey Sterling. Good. Goodness, yes. That game, like, I'm really glad they beat Texas Tech because we need to get those demons off of their, our backs of, like, let's not do that. The only thing that you had that game that irritates me to no end is you were up 50 to 31. There was no reason that game should have been close. At the you end. let them back into it and had to do the onside kick. And I, I was so irritated. Like, that game was over. Yeah. That game was over. There was eight – there was just under nine minutes to go. You're up 19 points. <sighs> One of my other like, so I I can go through a bunch of honorable mention like offensive plays, but the throw from Spencer Sanders to Tyler Wallace to the corner of the end zone on a dime to essentially kind of put the game on ice at that point. Uh, that was that was probably, that was Spencer Sanders' best throw of the year by far. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in the pocket on time. Oh, he had a few really good ones against Miami. That, he had some oh yeah, throws against Miami that were Oregon State first game of his career level throws. But I think the other one that sticks out of my head, and it was one of it was when I knew we were probably we were gonna beat Tulsa. And it was Shane Illingworth, his first mm-hmm. play of his career, he just throws up a ball to Tylen Wallace and Wallace makes a ridiculous catch against Tulsa. And that's why I went, Oh, we're gonna go down and score here. And then they go and good they get the touchdown on Illingworth's first drive. That completely changed the complexion of that game because we watched Ethan Bullock for two and a half quarters, and it was painfully awful. And that, like, just that throw just completely changed any sort of momentum Tulsa had in that game right away. And so that one, that's always one that sticks out of my mind, too. I think Ellenworth had his moments, you know, early on in the year. He looked rough against OU, but I think – but I, I at least still have that throw in my mind of, like, yeah, that completely changed the momentum of that game. Defensive scores are so much fun. Uh, I would say other play, top plays for me, the Iowa State touchdown <laughs> for Chuba 
where he, yes. you think he's going to go down, he's in a crowd of defensive players, hand like finger plants, props himself back up, like spin moves, goes to the other end of the field and gets in. That was the most athletic thing for a really good athlete. Like that play was just so good, so good. Um, LD every Brennan Presley. LD Brown's 50 yard run against West Virginia was pretty awesome too. Cause then he Ooh. hit the cabbage patch after mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there were some plays in that West the, Virginia game. The pick six from Trey Sterling when he called a shot that also, cause he said, oh, if they yes. run that stupid out route, I'm or that stupid in route. I'm going to pick it. And he did. Yes. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And it was, yeah. Brendan, Brendan Presley's, like 50, like he had, was, that was what, like a 30 something yard touchdown against Miami where he made about four dudes look foolish. Oh, yeah. Well, because then, so the other one for, for West Virginia was Tyron Irby's fumble return. Oh, yeah. That, that was, was the, uh, the 56 yarder. Uh, defensive touchdowns are so much fun. Yeah. Everything Brendan Presley did to West Miami was, uh, is up there. And every like defense is, I am, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm pretty sure like the only time Oklahoma State could score off of a, off of a ter- forced turnover. Was if the defense did it? I'm I'm pretty sure that I am right on this. Outside of like one field goal, I'm pretty sure I'm right. I'm going to write that. I say I'm going to go research it. Where we're at here. Okay, our next category, if I can find it here, because this is fantastic radio. All right. Um. Our last one. Oh, favorite uniform we have combo. Two, we have two left. You have, you have uni, two left. and then uh, let's do this. Do, you say, do we want to do uni or do we want to do Twitter? All right, so we'll do uni last. So our favorite player Twitter account, and for me it's Trey Sterling because the way he interacts with fans I think is super cool. He's really funny and really kind of petty on Twitter, which I love because he knows he's disrespected and he has no problem embracing that and then just showing everybody on the field like, oh, yeah, I'm really freaking good. Um but I think the little Q&A stuff he does with fans, it's like it's pretty cool the way he interacts with fans and embraces Oklahoma State, like the people that follow the team and stuff. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, I like that one. Um, I'm going with Car- Kobe Hoffman Peel. Okay. Um, lots of fun. Uh, he, he, as you mentioned, did not play the Kansas State game and live tweeted the whole thing. That was, that was, that was very enjoyable. Um. I might also slightly be biased here because Z decided to he, – he was going to go to the NFL and then reverse course and is now going back to OSU for a year, which is awesome. God, uh, the safety like, group of Trey Sterling, Tanner McAllister, and Colby Harville Peel. Oh, fan me. Oh, my God. Did, did, you, did you just vinegar strokes on the podcast? Pretty close to it, yeah. Okay. Well, then you throw in, you throw in Jason Taylor. Oh, uh, yeah. And <laughs> Thomas Harper. And uh, – and uh, well, Thomas Harper moved the corner. He's played both. Yeah, he 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 goes both ways. So either way, yeah. All right, let's let's end this thing with our favorite uniform combination. What do you got? I have thought long and hard about this because I think there are some good ones. Yes, some under underappreciated ones. Um, I like the the black gray black against. Iowa State. I know not everybody likes the gray, but the gray, I think the, I think the gray jerseys look good, and plus they have fan feet. Uh, I really liked the all blacks always good. I like the white, orange, white against Tulsa. That's like their go-to for like non-conference game, but they did the Patriot Pete, and so it's, it's a very classic Oklahoma State look. I like that one. Very torn here. Um, I am a I, but I'm going to go with I'm going to go with what I think are the best ones. And look, there's some really good helmets, but I mean, dude, the all-white Thurman Thomas throwbacks against oh, West Virginia. Th- those were just just awesome. I, I feel so like it's a good. lazy one to say, but those were immaculate. And look, and you'll probably mention one of these, those, both of the cowboy cursive helmets they pulled out this year were, were awesome. I love Phantom Peak, but those Thurman Thomas throwbacks are, I mean, if you told me that they were just going to make the Barry Sanders and Thurman Thomas throwbacks, like the new uniforms, 
guys, that would be fine with me. I would be perfectly okay with that. You know, no one in the world would ever like, yeah, these are, these are, these are gnarly good. The cursive, you put cursive OSU on anything, not cursive. You put the old school OSU logo on anything. And I, I will, uh, yeah. So Futurama, Futurama, take my money, Jeff, just all day in live action. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to follow because we have reached the five-year point of the uniforms we have right now. Mm-hmm. And since the be like the late 90s, early 2000s, Oklahoma State has done five-year cycles with all of their uniforms. There is a decent chance if they continue that trend that by the spring of this year, we see new uniforms. Whether they actually will do that yet, I don't know. Obviously, we won't know because we have no connection to the university in that regard. But God, I hope they do some kind of like reverse retro kind of where it's a little bit of the modern flair with that old school Thurman Thomas, Barry Sanders era. Bring back, bring back the sleeve stripes. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Bring, Bring back the sleeve stripes. Bring, bring them back. But my so, I'm gonna go with another all white combo, and I'm gonna go with the ones that wore K State with mm-hmm. the cursive cowboy helmet. Oh my god! Like I'm, I the cursive cowboy is one of mm-hmm. my favorite, if not my favorite logo for anything Oklahoma State. Whenever the the basketball team wears it during the season, it's always one of my favorites. It, that uniform looks so good. I'm so glad the football team embraced it a little bit. They did it for Oklahoma for the K State game. They did it on the orange helmet for Baylor. The orange white oh. ones looked awesome for that game. But the all white helmet and the surprise, I think I think it was a surprise element of seeing it for the K State game that makes it better a little bit. I think that's what kind of yeah. that's what makes that all white look. And the all white I think is probably the best next to the all black in the uniform set we have right now and to see the curse of cowboys with the stripe the black and orange stripe on the helmet with the curse of cowboy it looks so good i'm so glad they won that game because i would not have wanted to just burn that helmet in the fire after they lost to k-state they beat k-state they look good in those uniforms i want to see the curse of cowboy more in if we see a next uniform set or next year with the same set they, I need. To, I want to see at least once or twice next year because it looks good. Can you imagine a black helmet with the white cursive Cowboys on there for home game? He's still in my heart. Oh my god! <laughs> I'll say this though. So I like the orange, the orange trim black Cowboy cursive. They want it looked good. It looks it really good. White on orange is a really good look. Like white on orange, and here's the deal. The cow, the cursive cowboys they did for Bedlam or for Baylor had a black outline. I think drop the black outline. The ones they wore against Texas Tech, which is the orange white, and it's the white brand on the orange helmet. But there's no, it's just the white brand. Like it's not trimmed in black to make it pop. It's just the white on, on orange. It's not as discernible because it doesn't have the outline. But if you just slap straight white, on orange or straight white on black. Uh, I missed the black, black, white combo. That would be an opportune time if they have to play a Friday night, Thursday night game to pull up. What was it? It was white, black, black, right? I just want to see. Like, Thursday, yeah, it was white, black, like black. A white, like a combo. white, black, white. That we haven't seen, we've seen that once with this uniform set in five years. It looks awesome when they do it and they don't yeah. do it. It's so frustrating because it's so good. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I just like, it's, it's kind of like I am ready for the, for new unis just because there are certain combos that like, I would be fine if you retired them. Like we don't need, stop having, stop having games. You're like, well, we're going to use our, our less popular combos. Stop having less popular combos. If you only have four combinations, but they're all awesome, then just have four awesome combinations. Like it, having all those combos is great unless half of them suck. And then who cares? Right? Like quality over quantity, like don't get me wrong, but like what they were against Kansas, black, white, gray, it's fine. 
No one's clamoring for that. You know, I like black, gray, black. The, like, I just, let's just, just, just wear the classics. Wear what people want. I do like Patriot Pete. Make sure Patriot Pete stays in the arsenal. Yes. Yeah. All right. I'm done. Yeah. All right. We are going to take a break and then we will be right back. Talk some cowboy basketball right after this. All right, fellas. So since the last time we talked cowboy basketball, they have beaten Kansas and then they had to go into COVID-19 protocols. There was a positive test on the team, which knocked out the game against Bay or against OU on the it was last Saturday and the, uh, the midweek game. So they had a full week and a, and a half at least to play Baylor and they lose 81 66. Cade Cunningham does not play in that game due to COVID 19 protocols, uh, which I'm a little, still a little confused about. He seemingly was the one that tested positive or had symptoms based on contact tracing, something to that effect. And Oklahoma State played well, at least in the first half. They showed a lot of fight. Oklahoma, Mike Boynton teams always do. But at the end of the day, it wasn't enough. Baylor is the second-best team in the country. Uh, you have the, – the way college basketball seems this year, it's Gonzaga and Baylor. There's 50 feet of shit, and then there's everybody else. Like, if Baylor is that good, they're going to compete for national title. Don't get too uh, caught up in the result. Bama's – Bama's, Bama's kind of good. But, like – they're not like Bay, like Gonzaga and Baylor on a different level than everybody else. They just are. Yes. I don't think like after those top but Bama two, can just, have Bama can have a Bama Gonzaga level game. Like I don't think you've watched any Alabama and Alabama. It it's not right that that Alabama should also have a basketball team that's that good, but they're pretty damn good this year. Like they're pretty darn good this year. Okay, my point stands. Baylor's really f***ing good, and they showed yes. it on Saturday. Uh, Jared Butler went absolutely nuclear in the middle of the second half, right, mm-hmm. of course, coupled with the offensive lull that we see in the second half from Oklahoma State, but they didn't have a Cade Cunningham to try and end that run, and the game was what it was. The game was going to be tough with Cade Cunningham and Rondell Walker playing in that game. So I don't take a ton away from that result because – Oklahoma State probably wasn't going to win that game in the first place. That's that's kind of how I look at it. Like it's obviously frustrating the way that the game flipped that quickly, but not having Kate Cunningham, not having Rondell Walker, it, it was going to be t- it's going to be tough sledding. And Oklahoma State played really tough for the first thirty-ish minutes of that game, and had Baylor really confused, and Baylor wasn't knocking down shots. The regression to the mean, swinging back toward Baylor, knocking down those open shots and rebounding the ball as well as they were. It affected Oklahoma State, and with eight scholarship players essentially playing seven guys for the majority of that game, Avery Anderson, uh, Isaac Likely, and Bryce Williams all played 34-plus minutes. That's a tough formula to try and beat a team like Baylor. And that's what we saw. And there's not much you're going to do about that. Look, I... I saw some people have been like, oh, coaching, ah, Boynton, ah, blah. And I've seen people who are, in, who are already kind of turning on Boynton. So we're going to do a little, little thing that I've put together here. First off for this game, let's remember, they had, and I'm going to throw air quotes, eight scholarship players. They had seven recruited scholarship players and D. Mitchell, who is on scholarship. And I don't mean that as a dig at D. Mitchell, but like he played seven minutes. That they, he literally was able to like rest players by playing seven minutes, then um, seven scholarship guys. Do you? That means six guys that were supposed to be scholarship players on this roster at the start of the season were not available to play, either because of season-ending surgery, season-ending injury, leaving the team for personal reasons, COVID, or whatever other injury they're dealing with. Okay, you had seven guys against the number two team in the country. The fact that they were in that game for as long as they were. Do not come with coaching. Don't bring that crap at all. You don't. Save it. It's lazy, crappy takes. You're just being angry on Twitter. Stop it. Be better than that. That's garbage. If you want to take away from this game, it's this. Had they had Caden Rondo, the, the run by Baylor was still going to come, 
OSU would have made a bigger push at the end and they would have lost by glass. Still probably lose this game. Okay. That's just the reality. Now here's my thing. That is the latest issue that Boynton has had to deal with. Cause I'm, I'm really on the, like all you people who don't like Boynton. Oh, you can, you can only, he's, he's Travis Ward 2.0. He's a group. You can't coach. If you've listened to this pod, you've heard the things that we've talked about. Hey, uh, he is – it's a team that shoots, takes good shots, and can't hit them. They're hitting shots better. That is coaching. Taking good shots, even if you're not a great shooting team, but making sure you take good, efficient shots, that's good coaching. The other one I saw, and I need to make sure I remember who put it out there because I'm going to feel bad if I don't, so let me find it. It's another wonderful stats uh, Twitter account. Oh, no, have I lost it. Basically, it pulled out the, like, of the Big 12 coaches when it comes to out-of-bounds plays, as far as efficiency, Mike Boynton was number three. And we knew he was really good at it with, with out-of-timeouts and out-of-bounds plays, but he's number three. He is the third best coach in the Big 12. From so it was from uh, at shot underscore quality. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so there's number two. I put a little timeline together here of all the things that Boynton's dealt with. And look, you're going to deal with attrition. You're going to deal with players leaving. This list is not going to include all the players who have transferred out of this program. On March 24, 2017, Mike Boynton was named the head coach. On September 26th, six months later, the FBI investigation was announced into college basketball. Lamont Evans was named his top assistant. He was fired. The FBI-based investigation, six months into his tenure as head coach, has begun and is now hanging over the program. Remember, six months into his, pro, into his tenure as head coach, this whole time, except for six months, the FBI investigation has been hanging over his head and his program's head. Okay? Roughly three months later, junior Devon Dillard and Zach Dawson one of those being the only guy that was in his first recruiting class, another guy who we all thought would be really fun and interesting and good, uh, were dismissed due to repeated violations of the team's rules. So the only guy you brought on in that recruiting first recruiting class is gone now. One guy who's a contributor is gone. Uh, significant roster attrition also with let the team with seven scholarship players at one point at the end of the year. They lost nine guys, either who graduated, left early, dismissed, or transferred from the beginning of the year. So at the end of his first season, he had nine guys gone. Cool. So let's jump to the next year. September 2018, Michael Weathers, the guy you brought in. The I forget. Was the, he came from Miami of Ohio. He was like freshman of the year there. This is the guy who's going to be the stud. This is a guy who's going to help you turn this program around. He gets caught stealing a wallet of a bar. He's underage, by the way. Uh, and when the woman asks him to give it back, he refuses. They deal with the cops have to be called. Literally, she said in an interview, she didn't want to get him in trouble because she was a fan of Oklahoma State basketball. And had he just given her the wallet back, everything would have been fine. But he was being a little bitch. 29, January 8th, 2019, Mike Cunningham was a graduate transfer. A leg injury that kept him out of the first few games of the season. Been suspended. Missed the rest of it. Eight days later. So you lost Cunningham. Eight days later, Michael Weathers, freshman, Maurice Kalou and Contravius Jones are all dismissed because they essentially shot up a car with BB guns at a party. Mike Boynton spent the rest of that season with nine scholarship players. October 2019. Marcus Watson was suspended from all activities of the Oklahoma State basketball team after uh, – Allegations uh, by an Oklahoma State student of rape. Played one game. He was gone. 2019 season, Isaac, the team's going really well. Isaac likely gets mono, misses a month, and takes another month to recover. Uh, last year, also, we lost Chris Harris, uh, who had torn his ACL. Now, he was cleared to play this season, but he's re-aggravated an old knee injury, and now he's having surgery. He's missing the rest of this year. Montreal Pena has left the team for personal reasons. Donovan Williams has had season injury surgery. You've had more 
team players injured. Oh, by the way, COVID. It's year four for Mike Boyd. He has dealt with more shit than most coaches would deal with in a 20-year career. He's in year four. Shut up about he can't do it. We don't know if he can do it because he hasn't had a fair shot to do it from the get-go. The guy is lovable. He is awesome. He's great to talk to. He gives a shit. He recruits his butt off. He's a good coach. He put, continues to make moves all the time trying to make this team better. Let's all love the roster that he had his first three seasons in Stillwater, but let's not all act like the, he took Kansas's roster for three years and screwed around with it. Okay, folks? Mike Boynton's a good coach. He's a good recruiter. He's a good man. He has dealt with more than his fair share of crap in Stillwater. That, frankly, I would give maybe, maybe 10% of the blame to for this stuff. It's not his fault players get injured. It's not his fault that likely got mono. It's not his fault that kids decided to be boneheaded morons and screw around and have to all get kicked off of the team. We didn't even go through all the list of players who have transferred out for one reason or another. And if you're mad at every player that transfers out, you're implying that those players are all going to be great and how dare they leave. Shut up. He's here. He's the head coach. He's not going anywhere. You're sure as hell not going to bring somebody into the mess that Oklahoma State's dealing with with the potential postseason ban this year. Probably going to be next year. The scholarship production is going to be going on in Stillwater. So just cram it. Sit back. Root for the man. Hope he can get a fair shot here because I think if he does, this team might not only win but be a hell of a lot of fun and pretty damn good. And if you think you can find a coach that can win at Oklahoma State, with the situation that we've seen, show them to me. Give me the name of the coach that could do it. No one can. Boynton has done more with the shitty roster and roster situations than any coach I can think of that could possibly do it. The fact that this team was able to win games at the end of season with eight scholarship players and all the roster attrition and play some of their best basketball in February tells me how damn good of a coach Mike Boynton is. And with the roster attrition he's dealt with this year too, the fact that it was even close against Baylor for about 35 minutes of that game on Saturday should tell you how good of a coach Boynton is. When guys saw Cade Cunningham and Rondell Walker warm up and then they leave the floor and they're not playing today, it could have been really easy for all of those guys to go, okay, Let's just, let's just get out of here. Let's not get humiliated and let's move on. No, let's go win a ball game. That tells you the type of coach Boynton is because he gets these dudes bought in right away. Bryce Williams is a perfect example of this. He talked about like losing his love of basketball when he was at Ole Miss. He was ready to just be done. He comes to Oklahoma State, and that's revitalized. And you see the player that he is on the floor for Oklahoma State. He's one of the best players on this team. And he is one of the most fun players on this team. That's because Mike Boynton has instilled in this program. There has been a lot of bullshit that this guy's had to deal with. And he could sit back and go and make all of the excuses. No, he hasn't done any of that. He still goes out there because he knows his number one job is going to win a ball game and to build a program in Oklahoma State. He's still doing that in year four after this is the fourth year of roster bullshit that he's had to continually deal with. Like, you can make all the jokes you want. You can think he's a bad coach. You can wish that Oklahoma State had a better coach. Show me someone else who will be able to take the bullshit that he's had to deal with in stride and still win games. You can't because no one else would. So let's look ahead real quick. Now that I'm, we've both had our nice rant, and I'm a little put away. I've been working. I've been working on my rant for like three days because I got all this research. That, that was completely ad. Mine was completely ad lib. That was a ton of fun. Yes, it's ad libbing is fun. Um, putting together a list of like I'm not like I don't know what else you need to hear besides like 
I could I could keep giving you information. I could tell you all the players that left. I could tell you how many players he's recruited are still here. And you can say, well, that's da, 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 and I get all that. But like, welcome to it. Here is the schedule for Oklahoma State's next seven games at Iowa State on Monday night, Arkansas on Saturday at TCU, Texas at home at Kansas. It's not normal Kansas. Uh, Kansas State and Iowa State at home, folks. I see four wins. I think I see four wins at least. You could get five out of that. You're going to be you. Sh- I even without Cade, I don't think you guys understand how bad Iowa State is, and they are dealing with roster attrition and injuries as well. You can go to Iowa State. You can go to Hilton. Let me put this way: um, Iowa State will be on the market for a new men's basketball coach into this season. You get Iowa State twice the next two, seven games. You get Kansas State at home. TCU's not that good. I understand what happened in Stillwater. They're not that good. You get Texas at home. Cage will be back by then. You get to go to Kansas. That's not easy, but they're not great. It's a winnable game. I'm not saying you're going to. And you get Arkansas in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. And Arkansas is good, but Arkansas is not like – like Arkansas is not better than Oklahoma State. They might be on par, but you have by far the better player. You go through, you are nine and four. You're seventh in the conference. You're three and four in conference play. You have a real shot to go and win some games here. And I think they will. I, I, in this seven game stretch, I think they can. I, I'll, I'll make the prediction now. I think they go four and three in the next seven. And you say, well, that's not that impressive. Let's say, I don't really care. It's all about getting the NCAA tournament. And the Big 12 is probably going to get seven teams in. Every bracket you see has Oklahoma State in, and that's before they lost to Baylor. And guess what doesn't hurt you? Losing to number two Baylor. It ain't going to hurt your resume. Now, I'm not saying Oklahoma State's going to get a great seed, but you have more opportunities for wins. Go take advantage of them. You've Iowa State twice. You've got Kansas State and TCU on here. You've got Kansas and Texas. You get Texas at home. You've got Texas Tech at home, you've got two shots against Oklahoma. You get Arkansas, who's a solid program, who's going to help your resume. There are plenty of opportunities on here. Just go take care of them. Yeah, and I think this team proved they can still compete and win ball games without Cade Cunningham. And like I said, they you weren't like anyone other than Baylor. I think yeah, hang on and win that the, game. You hang on, or at least it's really damn close at the end. Yeah. Like, you, like you're. We, I believe Boynton said that it's a 50-50 shot that Cade plays on Saturday. Actually, That's just it was, getting, it's like at best 50-50. Like, which, I don't think he plays. Which tells me I don't think he plays. Saturday. He maybe plays on Saturday against Arkansas. But I you can go to Hilton. You can play on Saturday. Yeah, you can go to Iowa State. They're bad and win with the roster you have right now, especially if Rondo Walker is able to play. And you can go and beat Iowa State on the road. And winning in Hilton, no matter how bad Iowa State is, is still tough. Not when there's no fans there. That's fair. Is there any fans there? It's not full. Okay. I, I didn't matters. know if it – because I know every school – I'll put it this way. The fan base doesn't care right now. No. That's really bad. If you want to know why Steve Prom is going to get fired. Yeah. They're when bad. Iowa State doesn't care about basketball, you know there's issues. Yeah, they're bad, and the fans – and this is not a shot at the fan base at all. I get it. They don't care right now. That reminds me a lot of Travis Ford's last year in 2015-16. That was rough. Yeah. But um, – and then you get Arkansas, and if K can play in that game, that's another game Oklahoma State absolutely can win, especially because it's in GIA. And there's, that's going to be a highly emotional game for because that I guarantee that's going to be an honoring Eddie Sutton type game. That's going to be a remember the 10 type, you know, honoring game. You know, that game is going to mean a lot. That's going to be a curse of cowboy game, all that kind of stuff. Oh, that is a curse of cowboy game. And absolutely. Um, Cause I believe the 20, yes, it will be Wednesday, Wednesday or Thursday next week is the 20th anniversary of the, the remember the 10 plane crash. Yeah. So that's going to be a highly emotional game for a number of reasons. And that's game Oklahoma State absolutely can win regardless of what you know the capacity of GIA is. When you you sneak a couple of these games in conference, you get Texas at home, who you gave it your 
damn best shot at early on as you're still trying to gel as a team. You go on the road at Kansas, like you steal one or two of those, you're setting yourself up really nicely for the tournament. Now it's not going to be a top seven seed, but you're an eight or nine seed in the big 12 tournament. And history has shown at least Boynton and his teams outside of maybe his second year play some of their best basketball in February. And they're yeah, really hitting their stride team was just, at the, the end of the season. Team was just bad, yeah, the man. second year team was just that was that was rough. Yeah. But last year that team was really starting to hit their stride. I don't think they were going to make the tournament, but at least make the NIT when that was looking dire in the middle of January. Yeah, and right now you're solidly at this point a uh, eight, nine, ten seed. That's dangerous. And when you have the best player, one of the best players in the country, fully ready to go. Uh, Look out, everybody, because March is going to be chaotic this year, more chaotic than normal. Uh, if you plan on making a bracket, make it, and then just light it on fire because it doesn't matter. Um, I'm not expecting this team to go deep into March. I think this team is a, this is a team that could win a game in the Big 12 in the NCAA tournament, at least get it's to the round 32. It's all I want to watch. Just win one game. If they can get there and win a game, like I know we all had high expectations with Kate, but like let's be honest about this roster and you're dealing with COVID and everything else that's going on. Again, you're you're down to even if if Rondell Walker and Cade come back, you're at what nine of thirteen. You're still down four guys. I just it, that's nine. That's it. Like it just sounds like, oh, that's a lot. It's not. It's not in college. Like, no. how much is this going to be the third, like third straight year where Boynton has had to deal, get to this point in the season and had nine guys who can play? Good, freaking heavens! Give them who cursed him. Someone get him a rabbit's foot because this bullshit's got to come to an end. I don't. I don't know if we have to have a Ted Lasso kind of thing where everyone's got to go and burn something that's important to them, but we got to get this shit dealt with because it's 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 ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. I'm done with it. Um, all right, we should probably wrap this up. All right, do you have any final thoughts on this episode before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, the Big Twelve released the uh, 2021 college baseball schedule, so we have the conference schedule. Now, we know a few things about OSU's schedule from other people. Um, I get the feeling, maybe even by the time this podcast goes up, we'll know what Oklahoma State's basketball schedule is for 2021, and, and you and I will figure out which series uh, we're going to meet up at so we can go and enjoy the new O'Brate Stadium. I am pumped. Yes, and be on the lookout over the next week or so uh, for an announcement based on a project I'm planning to do for uh, the baseball season. So uh, I'll, I'll tease it a little bit now. I'll talk a little more once I get some things uh, finalized, but uh, be on the lookout for that. I'm, I'm so excited for baseball like season, man. Yeah. We are, I believe my calendar is telling me 24 days until pitchers and catchers report for major league baseball. College baseball is right around the corner. It's, it's going to be so much fun. I'm so excited. That weekend of the 19th, 20th is the first weekend. College baseball. Let's go. Oh, I'm so ready. All right, Philip, where can everyone follow you on Twitter? Only person at OKTXAR Poke. Of course, you can follow my show, the 1012 Podcast, T E M the number 12, the word podcast, available pretty much in all the top places you can find a podcast. Follow me at JT Penfield. Be sure to follow the main site at Cowboys RFF. We will be back on Thursday, another episode of the Short Force Saloon. We'll talk to you all day.